Hello, everybody. How are you? Good to see you all. Last week, we began our study in part one on the Gospel of John, chapter 16, uh, verses 23 to 27, where Jesus spoke to his disciples about the issue of prayer, told them for the first time that they were going to, in a short time, pray to him in his name. And through him, the Father would answer those prayers. And Jesus spoke to us about the essence of prayer, what prayer was about. Uh, And so as a result of that, I prayed about this week's lesson. And so we're going to do part two on prayer. And this time we're going to do it through the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Before I begin, I just want to let you know that you can get copies of all of these outlines that I write uh, on your smartphone through the Bible app, which is the, really the most, power, the most popular uh, Bible app application. Uh, so if you get the Bible app and you look there, you can go through and get our outlines every week. If you have a question on how to do that or how to navigate on the gap, uh, the app, see Chuck Gephardt in the back, our sound guy, uh, and he will direct you and, and show you how to do that. But I think that would be helpful to you, even as many of you may want to share them with some of your friends. So, Jesus is teaching us now through the Lord's Prayer how we should individually pray. What is the nature of the prayer? How we should do it? How does God expect us to pray? And these verses are found in Matthew, uh, excuse me, uh, in Matthew uh, chapter, let's see, Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. We'll start with verse 9, all right? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, many of you might be wondering, and what happened to the end of the Lord's Prayer as we've been taught it? For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever. Amen. Uh, Growing up in New Jersey, which was predominantly Catholic, if you were Roman Catholic, uh, as most of my friends were, when you would say this prayer, and then when you come to the end, and when we as Protestants would go, for thine is the kingdom, the power, they go, whoa, whoa, don't say it, don't say it. You know, if you were Catholic, you didn't want to go down that road because you were going to go to hell. But if you were saying the, the Protestant version, and so many of you may be wondering, why isn't, why aren't those words here in Scripture? What happened for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever? Amen. And I'm going to give you a, a historical a point so that you understand it. When the King James Bible was written in about the year 1607 or so, uh, and the great scholars of the world in England gathered to translate the original Greek and Hebrew into uh, the English Bible, uh, they translated the Lord's Prayer. And what they found is there was no, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Uh, And that was surprising to them because for hundreds of years in all the churches, the priests at the end of the phrase when they would read it, and of course the people didn't have a Bible, they were relying on the priests to give them the prayer, 
they would always say at the end of the prayer, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. And they would say this as they read scripture. And so effectively, what those translators were faced with was the dilemma. How do we write a Bible in which the people will not accept the Bible when those words are not in the Bible that they've been taught their whole life, generation after generation after generation? And so they came to the simple conclusion, we'll put those words in. And so those words are in your Bible, in the King James Version, are in the Bible, uh, even though they were not ever in the original translations. In case you ever get called up on Jeopardy, you have the answer. <laughs> All right? I just want to give you that, the benefit of that. I, I found that very interesting. And so here we go. Jesus is teaching us, teaching the disciples how to pray. Uh, and, and one of the, the, the key lessons that I see in this is that the very first part of this prayer, effectively one-third of the prayer, the opening stanzas, are all about God's will, God's needs, God's sovereignty, uh, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, hallowed, you are great. You are sovereign. You are our creator. Before we ever get into the individual issues of our needs, there is a, a, a poignant aspect as we as Christians approaching the throne of God. And as we approach the throne of God, thank him first for who he is and how he created us and the gifts that he has given us. And if your prayer life, and by the way, the point of this prayer is not to repeat the words in the precise template form, all right? It's not like, uh, Father, art in heaven, I'll be that name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And you do so many of these, our fathers, and you're going to get your prayers answered. That's not the aspect of what this is about. Jesus is giving you the template for you to make your own individual prayer life. And as I said before, prayer is the most intimate communication with God. You cannot communicate with God unless you have an active prayer life. We read the Bible in order to understand God's will and God's law and God's command. But we pray in order to speak with God and have God speak back to us in so many ways. It is this active, intimate communication. That's what this prayer is about. Jesus is giving in this model prayer. And as I told you, in order to have the effective Christian life, you need to be praying a hundred times a day. As you walk, as you drive, even now as you're in this class, you should be praying to God. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you for bringing me to this class. Thank you for the friends that are here. Lord, I ask you that these words apply to my heart, that they resonate, that if I have a misunderstanding, that you clear it up right now. And you have this prayer life that goes on constantly with God. And it's two ways. And as you pray to him, he pours it back into your life. And so you see this here in the opening of this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You are holy. You are great. You are sovereign. And, and, and thy will be done in this world. Your will first, Father, in this world as it is in that world. Your will in everything. Your will with me. Your will with my family. Help me to understand your will and to accept your will. We haven't yet asked for anything specific acknowledging the greatness and sovereignty of God. And one of the things that I have found today in many churches uh, uh, is that we have not impressed 
upon the people the importance of the sovereignty and holiness of God. So many churches, uh, in so many churches, you will see a reckless disregard for the holiness of God. Uh, even in the way we approach, we approach God, we approach worship. Uh, and the essence of understanding what that is like, uh, what the importance of sovereignty and holiness is, is to look in the Old Testament. And if you look at David, when David finally had the opportunity to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, uh, and the Ark of the Covenant was outside of Jerusalem for about 70 years, outside of the people of God, and now it's being brought back for the first time as David has conquered Jerusalem, and he's going out, and he, in his own way, is trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant in. He brings it in on a cart drawn by, by a donkey, bringing it in, in this massive procession. And as a result of him bringing it back, and he's seemingly thinking he's doing the right thing, he puts it on a cart, and the cart goes into a hole, as you can imagine in those times, very easy to happen, and the wagon tips, and as the wagon tips, the Ark of the Covenant tips and is ready to fall over. And a gentleman named Uzzah was a good man. In order to keep the ark from falling over, puts up his hand to keep the ark from falling over. And as he does that, he is struck dead and falls dead on the ground. Now, as a kid growing up in church, I was disturbed by this. This bothered me a lot. God, how can you do this? All he was trying to do was to keep the ark from falling on the ground, Lord. How can, how can you have struck him dead? But you see, the answer is, as you get more mature, you understand, well, how did God want the ark carried? Did God want the ark carried on a cart? No. God had made it very clear uh, in Exodus, in dealing with Moses, that the ark could only be carried on the shoulders of the priests on a pole through the rings that the God, God had commanded would be placed on the Ark of the Covenant, only on the shoulders of the priests. And so when we don't follow what God says, when the Ark of the Covenant is the very manifestation of God himself, and that's what the Ark was, the Ark would precede Jesus as the manifestation of God in this world, God said, there on the ark, right on the cover, on the atonement cover, I will meet with you. Well, if this is the very meeting place of God, then you have recklessly violated his command, you violated his sovereignty, and this is what happens when you violate the sovereignty of God. Whoa. God is serious. God is serious. And so you understand this, and you see this. And so that's the point of the prayer. Lord, I thank you for what you've given me. I thank you for bringing me here. I thank you for letting me be part of this group. I thank you for the friends. I thank you for my health. I thank you that I've reached an age you never thought I never thought I would reach. I thank you for giving me a family. All of the things that you have. Lord, I thank you for who you are and that you, the creator of the universe, have somehow determined that you would have a relationship with meaningless little piece of dust, me. Who can ever comprehend the greatness of that? 
that the creator of the entire universe would somehow want to have a personal relationship with us. That's why our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so you see the model prayer. And what's so amazing about this prayer that Jesus gives us in that in really three or four short stanzas, he covers the very uh, avenue of all of the issues that we have in human, as human beings. Um, and so it's, it's so critical for us. And so before we get into all of our individual needs, about our debts, about our cares, about our health, we do this first and we pray, pray to God and acknowledge his greatness and sovereignty. And so now, having prayed for, for that, having prayed for God's will, prayed for his kingdom, prayed for God's name, after that, then, it, then we pray for human interests as well. Uh, and this, the next petition that comes up is, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation. These are requests for physical needs, forgiveness of sins, and spiritual victory. Now, our entire life is found within these three petitions, which is why this prayer is so absolutely amazing. Jesus covers the needs of the believers in a few short words. Our physical life, uh, our mental life, our spiritual needs. In every way, Jesus covers it all. And so this first request is for our physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Now understand this. Uh, this includes the daily bread. This includes, as Jesus uh, writes this prayer and gives this prayer, this includes all of the daily needs of your life. It is a prayer for food, for clothing, for home, for job, for physical necessities and spiritual necessities. But it does not include all of your wants. It is for necessities, daily needs, your daily bread, what you need today, not your wants. I want a bigger house. I want more money. I want to take better vacations. All right? I don't see this. I don't see this with the Lord. The Lord never, never acknowledged a prayer like that. The Lord constantly prayed for his disciples, for their needs, all right? but not for their wants. God wants you to be living the kind of life and praying the kind of life that Jesus had. If you want your prayers to be answered, you have to conform your prayers to the kind of prayers that Jesus had. And when you see that, you see that Jesus prayed really for the necessities in life, uh, for our bodies, for healing, uh, for all the things that are appropriate for us on a daily basis. Jesus will supply all of your needs. You can take that to the bank. When you walk with God, he will take care of your needs, but not your wants. That is why, really, you need to be very careful about some of these this theology that is all over the television, okay? Really, honestly, and I know so many good people. I mean, really, so many good people, and I will not throw names out, all right? I'm not going to do that. But I recently saw a YouTube between two of these televangelists. I can't say their names, so I'm not going to dignify it. 
But there was this dialogue between these two guys about why they each had to have a private jet plane. I'm not, I'm not making this up. They both had private jet planes. And we're saying that, that God wanted them to have a private jet plane. You see? God wanted them to have a private jet plane because when they flew commercially, there were a lot of demons on the commercial flights. You can't make this up. Now, I do fly commercially a lot, and they are right. There are a lot of demons on those flights. But they're mostly other passengers. But the point of it being, well, if you're called by God to spread the gospel, isn't that where you should be? I mean, really, isn't that where we should be? But you see what happens when we turn the gospel on its head and we, we suddenly say that everything that you want, God will give you? No! False! Don't give me this prosperity garbage. Wrong! All right? God isn't going to give you this house that you want, this big house, all right, or some, some special financial gift. God is not interested in that. We are talking here about give me this day my daily bread. Daily, meaning what? Each day I approach the throne of grace. Imagine this ongoing line of communication. And it's, it's like the way you speak to your husband or your children each day. And you speak to them and you're speaking to God. Of course, you're speaking in an entirely different way. You're recognizing you're talking to the creator uh, who created you. But recognizing that you each day you come and you say, Lord, this day, please help me this day. Right now, I need your help. Help me this day. And God will take care of you each day. He will give you your daily bread. The problem with a lot of Christians is we've gone beyond our daily bread, and we want the bread from next year, or five years, or ten years, instead of having a daily walk and communication with God to be with me today, today. God wants you to be dependent upon him, to walk with him. Uh, and I'm so impressed with this as I read this prayer. And this is, the longer you stay as a Christian and read these things, the more God opens your eyes about it. This whole idea of the daily walk, the daily walk that Jesus is emphasizing here, I believe is so critical for us. Walking daily, Lord, today I need your help. Today I need you to be with me. Today I have this issue in my life. And yes, you're with me. Yes, I have the assurance that you're with me in every way. And so you see this. I want you to see, turn if you would to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. And here we, Jesus talks to us about answered prayer. How your prayers will be answered. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good, give good gifts to those who ask him? This is another amazing passage because Jesus, again, is acknowledging how God acts. And look at the metaphors that he's chosen there. Look at that. You, if, first of all, asking, here, child asks for bread. 
Would you give him a stone? Asking for bread. Do you see the, see the simplicity and the humility of the ask? Asking for a daily need. Asking for bread. Asking for a fish. Asking for food. Asking for the very simple, basic necessities of life. And then Jesus said, and you, being evil, got that right, Lord. We are. You knew being evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children. How much more will God love to give to you? You see this relationship that God has with us, how much he loves us and cares for us and wants to give you, wants to answer. So I want to assure you today that when I study this, I am more than ever assured that God will answer your prayers when they are made in the characteristic of Jesus Christ. When you speak to God in the characteristic of Jesus Christ for the daily needs of your life, yes, your needs, your financial needs, your health needs, uh, your relationship needs, God will answer those prayers. But we always say in those prayers, but nevertheless, Lord, in your perfect will. Somebody asked me last week, is it appropriate to pray for somebody that's 100 years old to ask for healing? And the answer is clearly yes. You're not the judge of when it's time for somebody to have their ticket punched. You're not supposed to say, well, that's it. You made it. You're 97. Good luck to you. Have a good trip. I can't pray for you anymore. Let me tell you, folks, your job is to pray for somebody until they're gone. All right? We never stop praying. We never make a motion or a decision that, that the prayer aspect is done. But we pray, even as we pray, we pray, nevertheless, Lord, in your perfect will. Why do we say in your perfect will? And somebody said to me, do you really have to say in your perfect will? Because it will be his will. But the difference is, Lord, help me to accept your perfect will for me and for this person. Mold him. Prepare him to accept his will. Help me, Father, to accept your will for him. I'm asking to heal him, Lord. I want him healed, but it may not be within your perfect will. And as I make that prayer, Lord, you will mold me and make me understand the will. Give me the confirmation, the understanding, the assurance. Do you see how prayer works? It's not you just asking for a specific thing. It's the very act itself in submission to have intimacy with the creator of the world who prepares you to accept the answer. Amen. It's not the answer that you would have wanted, but you accept the answer because you know it's his will. Only because you are in this intimate relationship and speaking to him. This is a tremendous concept for us to understand. This will change your life and motivate you in the rest of your life as you walk with him, as you recognize how he wants you to pray and what it is that he's looking for. And you see that here. And Jesus says that God delights to answer your prayer when the prayer is made in the characteristic of Jesus Christ, not, not in your own selfish will. Uh, and one of the things that we recognize is that we have an ongoing obligation, uh, ongoing obligation to pray for others, to pray for others constantly. And your heart should be convicted and burdened when you know people have a need, and you need to do that as well. And so Jesus is concerned about our bodies. He's concerned about your finances. He's concerned about your health. He's concerned about your relationship. 
And so when you become fully dependent upon him in a daily basis, walking with Christ, walking in the will of God, those prayers get answered. But Jesus and God himself is also concerned about your spiritual nourishment as well. It's not all about our bodies, all right? Our bodies are only going to be here for a certain period of time, but your spirit remains forever. And so God is concerned about your spiritual nourishment. And as I see, as I read, give us this day our daily bread, the daily bread includes spiritual nourishment, feeding from God, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, going to Bible study, praying that God gives you wisdom and understanding and resonating this in your heart in every way. And so here's one of the lessons that I believe that you can follow with this. Jesus will fill us with an abundance of spiritual life only as we give what we have received away to the world. I will repeat that so that you understand that. Jesus will fill you and give you an abundance of spiritual life only as you take what Jesus has given you and give it to the world. That means you spread the news about Jesus. You talk to the world about what Jesus has done for you. You talk to the world about evangelism. You bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. And here's the thing. We come daily to Christ fulfilling. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. And that means, Lord, fill me with your spirit. I need your Holy Spirit in my life. I'm a pail that has holes in it, and I leak out. Lord, fill me with your spirit. And he will fill it only to the extent that you are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you talking to people about Jesus? Are you effectively the perfume of Jesus Christ to a lost world? What do I mean by that? It means this, that when you walk into a room, when you go someplace, do you, when you walk in, are people drawn to the fact that there's something different about that woman? There's something different about that man. I don't know what it is, but I'm drawn to them. They have something in their life. When they go through a crisis, I don't see them act the way other people in the world act. There's something different. Are you like those two guys who were having lunch one day and knew each other for years at work? And one guy tells the other, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. And the other guy says, I'm amazed. I never would have expected to hear that. <laughs> oh, praise God, that's wonderful news. I never would have expected that you've been a Christian for your life. I mean, seriously, how many of us fall into that, that trap? Oh, Lord, give us, give us the grace not to do that. But, but you see, when you read in Scripture, you see the evidence of how God wants us to pray. There is a beautiful prayer found uh, in Proverbs chapter 30. Would you turn there for a moment? Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. And it's funny because this is, a, this is something my father drilled into me uh, from a, a, an early time. And I always thought it was my father's original thought never realizing that he had basically taken it right out of the Scripture. But it's something that you can incorporate into your life uh, and your prayer life as you make this prayer. And this is, a, this is an honest prayer. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you. 
and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Isn't this an incredible prayer? How many of you would say this? Lord, don't make me rich and don't make me poor. I think most of us would sign up on the poor part, you know? Yeah, I like that. Lord, please don't make me poor. If you feel like you need to make me rich, it's okay. But you understand the nature of the prayer, why, why you need to make this prayer, and why God speaks about this, and why this falls into the characteristic of my daily bread. It's because that so many of us, if God had poured affluence into your lives, we would never see you in church again. Where's Joe? Whoa, he just got that 50-foot yacht. You know, he's out, he's doing a big fishing trip, or he's, he's on a world voyage, uh, and he's got a lot of responsibilities. You know, there's a lot of things to take care of, and you understand that when affluence comes into our lives, many of us would be distracted by the affluence, and we'd never darken the doors of church again. God would fade in importance. And that's why this prayer is important. Lord, give me neither affluence nor poverty. Lord, give me what you want me to have. Give it to me in my daily needs uh, because otherwise I don't want to dishonor you. I want, I want to have and rely totally on you. Look also, as you understand this prayer, look in Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah 33, verse 14. Again, understanding daily bread, what it means, and how God wants you to pray for it, and how he expects to speak to you about it. Isaiah 33, verse 14. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? He who walks righteously and speaks what is right, who rejects gain from extortion and keeps his hand from accepting bribes, who stops his ear against plots of murder and shuts his eyes against contemplating evil. This is the man who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. His bread will be supplied and water will not fail him. Amen. So you understand what it is. You want your prayers to be answered you are asking God, give me this day my daily bread. God said, yes. Are you walking within my light? Are you my child? Are you following a path of righteousness? Or are you doing your own thing? And here's where many of us find out we're doing. I, I've said this in the, other, in the other class. So many of us wind up being day one Christians. Yes, we're saved. We put the chair down. We're parked. And that's it. And you understand that day two means discipleship, walking with him, taking up his cross, following him, abiding in him, submitting in him. And you see that this is the answer to that question. Here you see this. You want your daily bread? Are you walking in the righteousness of God? Are you forsaking evil? Are you abiding in the way that he tells you to abide? And when you do that, you can stand within the fire of God because the fire consumes the evildoers. And you see that. They're petrified, but you walking with God, knowing that God is protecting you, you have that assurance. He's answering your prayers, and he will give you his daily bread. Because why? You are walking righteously. You speak what is right. 
You, you, you avoid extortion. You avoid the sins of the world. And as you do this, God pours his grace into your heart. And in that communicative spirit that you have in that prayer, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. And God says, yes, yes, amen, so be it, so you shall have it. You understand this. You see this, and in this lesson, when you see uh, fire being spoken about, fire there is metaphorically God, metaphorically the purifying aspect of God. We know that when we look at Scripture, we see that in Exodus. When God spoke, when Moses spoke uh, to God, he spoke to them in a fiery bush. And God himself was in the fire in the bush. And in Revelations, which is in the outline, when, when John had that vision of Jesus on the throne of God, he saw the eyes of Jesus having piercing fire. Well, it is the very fire of God, God on his throne that Jesus has here. And so it's important for us to understand how these prayers are going to be answered, how God wants you to walk, and what this template about prayer is all about. Give me this day my daily bread. And then what comes up next is, and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Now, if you had paid attention to current events within the past month, you will notice that uh, the Pope had obviously seen some of my outlines on this issue. <laughs> and the Pope had corrected once and for all uh, the bad theology that he said was in the church because he said that when you read this, you cannot say that God was evil. The Pope hit it right on the head. The God is not evil. God is the opposite of evil. God does not lead you into temptation. God does not lead you into evil. And so it's important to understand what Jesus was saying here in this prayer. And I want to drill down and make sure I get this right for you. The problem in these translations is that in the original Greek, there was one word uh, for temptation. Uh, and that Greek word applied equally to both a temptation from sin and a trial from God. And there's very much of a difference between the two. And I want to make sure I correct this now so that you don't confuse the two. When Abraham was told to take Isaac and to sacrifice Isaac, uh, when God told Abraham to do that, God did that because he wanted to determine if Abraham was all in or there was some aspect of his life that Abraham had elevated above God himself. And one of the issues that God wanted Abraham to be aware of is that he could not elevate his family above God. He could not elevate his son above God. God came first, and so God demanded that Abraham sacrifice his son. Now, did God really want Abraham to kill his son? No, no. But God wanted to see his will. He wanted to teach Abraham what this lesson was about. And so as Abraham effectively brought Isaac to the mount and was about to strike Isaac down, down, I'm sure that Abraham believed that no matter what he did, God had the ability to raise Abraham, uh, Isaac from the dead. And this story winds up being a metaphorical uh, glimpse into what would happen with Jesus. And so God stops Abraham at that moment and does not allow Isaac to be struck down. Uh, and instead, we see uh, a foreshadowing of Jesus uh, because immediately in the, in the bushes, 
uh, there's a sacrificial lamb being caught in the bushes, and that would ultimately be sacrificed. And so here, God himself is stopping Abraham from sacrificing his son, and yet God would one day sacrifice his own son for us, not stopping at that. And so that, my friends, is a trial. That is God using an example to test you, to refine you, to make you a better person, to strengthen your character and your Christianity, to lift you up. And that's how God works. And much of, of many of the things that we go through, God is involved in those things. That is not evil. Now, sometimes God will actually take evil that is being used against you, all right? And God will use that somehow for a good purpose. That happens too. But God is not the foundation of evil. He is not the person who is evil. God puts a hedge around us. Sometimes he allows that hedge to come down in some places where he wants to strengthen us and show us that we need to be more dependent on him. That is very different, very different from the evil that Jesus is speaking of in the Lord's Prayer. The evil that Jesus is speaking of in the Lord's Prayer is the evil that's brought through Satan that comes out of your very heart. The lust of the eyes, all right? The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all of this that comes from within our flesh. And let me say something to you that I, somebody asked, uh, uh, kind of debated with me on this when I said a, couple, a month or so ago that I find that sometimes even as I sleep that my mind is, is sinning, that I'm doing the wrong thing, that thoughts are coming into my head, even, even in that before I put my foot on the ground. And this person said to me, I can't believe this. Tell me, doesn't the Holy Spirit give you the power not to sin anymore? Bad theology. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. But until you leave this life, and let me make sure I drill this down to you, until you leave this life and they put dirt on you, you are a sinning machine. You will always sin. You are a child of God. You have given your heart to God. You are walking with God, and yet you're carrying around the flesh. You're carrying around the old man. So don't deceive yourself, folks, and think I've got it made. Oh, I will not sin. I can't fall for that. That won't, that won't trap me any longer. I'm strong. I'm not going to fall for that. No, no. What, you ha what happens as we get older, all right, is that we deal with what I refer to as the white glove demons. Very sophisticated. <laughs> Very sophisticated. It's like slander. Oh, yes. And gossip. You know, it's like, did you hear about Sister Jane? Did you hear about Brother Joe? Oh, we need to pray for them because, and then what do we do? We get involved in what I call prayer gossip. You understand prayer gossip? Prayer gossip? You need to pray for them without ruining their character publicly. You need to pray for them because you have a heart that's broken for them. All right? 
And, and, and the problem with so many of us as we walk this life, we don't realize that there's a whole other avenue of sin that comes our way even as we advance in the kingdom of God. The white shoe, the white glove demons. Yes, we don't go out in the street and get drunk and get into fights. We don't rob people, but no, we have no problem in slandering or gossiping or being hurtful or not affirming. You know, I don't have to delineate all those things, all the things that you find in the world, uh, and you understand this. And so uh, uh, God is speaking to us really significantly as it relates to this. Uh, and, and you can look at this. I'd like you to turn, if you would, to James, the book of James, James chapter... Four, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. What does this mean? It means that when you find yourself being tempted by evil, when you find yourself uh, having the lusts of your heart or your mind being uh, uh, brought to some point, that you need to ask God to take it away from you. That's what the prayer means. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Take these thoughts away from me. Help me to cut this down, Lord. Help me to submit my life to you. Stop this in its path. Lord, I know that I'm weak. I can't do it without you, but I know that if you answer this prayer, you'll give me the grace and the strength to stand up and fight against Satan. This is the nature of this prayer, understanding this, and God will give you this. And so look also as, you, as we examine this issue, Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here it is. You made the prayer. Lead me not into temptation, Lord. Deliver me from evil. Verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they produce quarrels. You can't make it any clearer than that. All right? God gives you the remedy as you pray. Yes, you pray. Lord, uh, lead me not into temptation. Well, Lord, as I make this prayer, what am I to do? Well, and willfully, God wants you to flee the evil desires of youth and pursue, actively pursue, a life of righteousness. Walk in the light of God, all right? Faith, love, peace, along with all those who call on the Lord for a pure heart. Be with a community of believers and walk in God's light, all right? Even as we make this prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And then don't have anything to do with those people who are quarrelsome. What does that mean? There are some people in this world who you really cannot have anything to do with. All right? I'm, uh, I'm sorry to say this. You know, we want to spread the gospel of Jesus to everybody. But even Jesus said that when you get to a point 
when you go someplace, as he told the apostles, and they refuse to accept my will, what are you supposed to do? Shake the dust from off your feet. Meaning what? There comes to a point when God says, move on. Move on with your life. Move on in your walk. Move on in your call. Because for you to dwell there will not, will not lift you up, will not affirm you, will not draw you closer to him, but will draw you away. Look also at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Lead me not into temptation, Lord. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. All right, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. What's the point of this? The point of this is very simply this. You need to understand that now that you are saved, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That within your heart, God has put a piece of God himself. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, would you take the temple of God and drag it into an immoral, dark place? Well, you don't have to answer that question to me. You answer that question to God. The answer is no. You couldn't do it. Why? Because you're convicted. Because you recognize it's not you any longer. It's not about your body. It's not about your flesh. It's that in the act of salvation, God has planted himself, the Holy Spirit, within your heart. And so since God is now within your heart, those issues of sexual immorality and impropriety and going places where you know you're not advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can't do it anymore. And if you can do it anymore, then you need to get on your knees and ask God, lead me not into temptation. And he'll answer that prayer. He'll be with you. He'll abide with you. Um, and, and one of the ways of answer, of, of uh, Answering this prayer for yourself. Uh, and I think this is appropriate. And my father would say this often. is Instead of going to your minister, your Bible teacher, and giving him a hypothetical question, is it all right if I do X, Y, and Z? No, don't do that because I'm not going to give you an answer. I'm going to say you need to ask God, is, will this activity bring you closer to the Lord or will it bring you further away? Will this activity bring you further from the cross of Jesus Christ? Will it bring you further away from God? Or will it bring you closer? And when you begin to answer those questions, all of a sudden it becomes simple answers, don't they? It's pretty simple. And you see it and you get clarity in your life. And that's why God wants you to pray this way. God, please, Lord, deliver me from temptation. Keep me from evil. Lift me up. Affirm me. Give me peace in every way. And God will do this. He will lift you up. He will do this. He will abide with you. And so Jesus is giving you the very prayer that we need to connect with the God of the universe for our daily lives. Every day you are alive, God has given you the parameter. In your own words, this is the paradigm. This is how you are to pray. This is how you are to speak to him. This is how you are to treat him. And when you do this, 
When you walk in light, when you walk in righteousness, he will lift you up. He will protect you. He will answer those prayers, and you will have the most joyous life possible. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the blessings of our life. I thank you for Jesus, Father. I thank you for this New Testament, for the words that have ignited our lives. I thank you for the lesson that you've given us. Protect our people. Bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.